Good evening and welcome to Health Beat, a show where WDIY, in conjunction with the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health, talk about how vital conditions impact the health of communities. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and pleased to be joined in studio by Pool Institute for Health Executive Director Edward Meehan. Welcome, Ed. Good evening, Greg. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. And before we get started, let me just say that I'm just so thrilled that WDIY is able to host HealthBeat. And thank you so much for all the work that you do to provide this kind of information to the community. I, I, I hear from a lot of folks who listen to the show and say it's really helpful for me to think about health in a much broader context. Uh, and I know that this evening we're going to be hearing from a number of community leaders in terms of how they think about their work in the short run, but also have an eye on the prize in the big picture about how we can all work together to improve the health of the Lehigh Valley. Well, thanks, Ed. And, of course, you've been associated with the radio station for over 28 years or since its inception. And uh, we certainly thank you for that. Well, a pleasure. Ryder Pool Foundation, I was... One of the things that Ryder Pool Foundation does well, because we have relatively small amounts of money, is very often make an investment as first, quote, first dollar in. And if we weren't the first dollar in on WDIY, we were pretty close. You were pretty close. Well, thank you for that. In this episode, we are going to have some fun and reflect back and provide commentary on a few of the more interesting Health Beat episodes over the past uh, year or so. In doing so, we hope to demonstrate the importance of looking at how multiple sectors of the community influence the vital conditions and health status. So let's begin and reflect back on a conversation we had with longtime Allentown resident Dan Bosket back in January. Dan grew up in Allentown and, and recalled the sense of community connectivity that once existed in his neighborhood. Take us back to your days as a young person. What was it like to grow up in Allentown? Well, that's a great question because when I was growing up, before the urban renewal hit, we had our own close-knit neighborhood uh, focusing on Fifth Street. My father was an entrepreneur. He had a barbershop on Fifth Street. And in our neighborhood, we had our own barbershop. We had our own uh, corner store. We had our own park. We had the Boys and Girls Club. We had our neighborhood school, the Horn School, which is now the ASD Admin Building. And so we had a pretty close-knit community at that time before urban renewal. Everybody knew everybody. And, you know, it, people always say it takes a village to raise a child. That was sure. actually the work. Yeah. You know, the, the other parents considered, you know, me their child as well as my own parents considered me, you know, as their, as their own child. That was a great episode. Learning about Mr. Boskett's upbringing as a young Allentown resident that aired on January 16th, Ed. Can you touch on why it's important to understand a community's historical context and background? I was so happy that we were able to have Dan on the show, and uh, his leadership over the years has just been tremendous. His dad's leadership in the community was tremendous. And uh, I just note that the way he phrased urban renewal was when urban renewal hit. And I think that is not a word taken lightly. We, in those days, believed as a nation that housing, poor housing was a problem, and we wanted to address poor housing. And I don't think we thought about the unintended consequences, because in the, in the face of taking poor housing and tearing it down, you disrupted the ecological system of many, many communities. So the unintended consequences, Dan is pointing out, is maybe better housing, 
but you destroyed a whole lot of community that was in the process. So I hope that we learn from those lessons from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and that we also are smarter about thinking about what might be consequences that we weren't, didn't want to intend. If you want to work in a community, you have to know the story of the community. You have to know the history of the community. The story is extremely important. I think several times in this show we'll mention no data without the story, no story without the data. So you'd be really remiss to do something in a community without asking the residents of the community, tell me about this place. Tell me about why this place is important to you. What are the major things that have happened or didn't happen that, that would help me understand better the context of the, this community? For our work, community is the patient. Uh, and so you know when you go to the doctor as a patient, as an individual patient, and say, okay, I, you know, I'd like to be seen, and the physician will say, okay, let's talk about your background a little bit. What's your history? Uh, what do you have? What illnesses do you have? What's your family history? So when we think about assessing the health needs of a community, it's the same thing. We want to know the history and really understand the context in a, in a more meaningful way. Place matters. Place is important. People matter, and the story matters. So in a sense, the Poole Institute for Health is the community doctor. We think there are many community doctors, but it's a different way of thinking about it, if you would, if you would allow that. Um, so often we think about an individual's health, which is super important, but people live in a family, they live in a neighborhood, they live in a community, and the things that happen in a community will impact either positively or negatively the health of any individual. So when you look at things in a larger context outside of the family, outside of the individual, you get a better handle on some of the social determinants of health. That said, if you don't look at the community and look at the larger geographic area, um, you're missing some of the story. At a few months later, WDIY spoke to Lehigh Valley Health Network President and CEO, Dr. Brian Nestor. This came after an accomplishment across the network of hosting LVHN's first annual community health symposium. This was an opportunity for day-long discussions around the health of our local community. As Dan Boskett mentioned, his village growing up in the last soundbite, Dr. Nestor later dug deeper by mentioning the important ripple effect of healthy moms and healthy babies in a neighborhood. We also concluded that if you're not taking care of moms and babies, you're not taking care of families. If you're not taking care of families, bad things will happen in school and in the community, and it's going to be a negative cycle and spin. So with that recognition, we wanted to declare that to our community partners and say that we, we, we are, we're happy to convene. We're happy to make sure we're together. We're happy to support uh, financially and otherwise the conversations necessary for us to pull together all of our resources collectively and to rank and prioritize the most important things we should do. Not the gigantic portfolio of things we all do today and could do, but start to get down to the things we need to do to provide the greatest return on investment with a metric being community health. So I think that was the goal. Let's lay our cards on the table. This is where LVH stands. This is what we're about. This is what we can bring to the table but it's our collective table together, and we need to understand what you think. That was the vision. Obviously, Dr. Nestor provides a unique insight. Ed, your thoughts? So much credit to Brian Nestor for the encouragement on looking at community health for the whole region. It's, it's really important, and his leadership role is, is very, very valuable. The symposium was his idea, and if you think about it, 
the symposium wasn't talking to people. The symposium was interacting with people and gaining their thoughts and their inputs. So my takeaway from that, that little clip is three things. Um, one is an idea, two is an offer, and three is an invitation, all coming from Dr. Nestor. So first one is the idea, mamas and babies. A lot of things must be going right for mamas and babies to be all right. And so his expression of saying, let's focus on mamas and babies, because from there we can worry about communities and families and expand out. So brilliant idea and one that you can grasp onto and really begin to think about, okay, how would we go about doing that? The second is the offer. And I think it's a very generous offer that expresses what LVHN can do and what LVHN is prepared to do. So just the idea of LVHN and let me say Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health as well can convene can facilitate, can work to pool resources, to focus on things that matter, and to create win-win-win opportunities. We can't do it all by ourselves, but no one can do it all by themselves. So the offer is, let's work together and let's think about how we can, how we can do this work better. The third is the invitation. In, in Dr. Ness's words, come to a collective table and work with us to analyze the data and come up with common metrics to move. So he brings in the idea of metrics. Let's figure out what needles we want to move and how do we go about measuring that? How do we go about intelligently focusing on improvement of community health? So a great deal of credit to, to Dr. Nestor for his leadership on advancing the concept of community health and implementation. Dr. Nestor also holds a master's degree. He's a business person too. Mm -hmm. So he has the opportunity to look at this, I think, as a, as a physician and then kind of put the puzzle together as a business person. That's got to be helpful. Yes. You know, I think historically community health or health fairs or the blood pressure screening at the mall or whatever good things you do were always seen as nice. Uh, and you did them because they were nice. But I think we can't afford to just do nice anymore. We have to really think intelligently about what makes a difference in enabling people to live their healthiest lives, what works, what doesn't work, what are the metrics associated with that. So I think to the great credit of the, the movement of community health is the increasing idea to focus on the value proposition. When we do these things, what will matter? What will make a difference? How will this benefit in the long run? So great to look at it with a business eye. Sure. It makes it clear to see the result, too. Exactly. Yeah. The next LVHN Community Health Symposium, Ed, will be in Schuylkill County in September with the understanding that the community needs of one county can greatly differ from another. On April 17th, we had the chance to speak with Vicki Kistler, Director of Community and Economic Development for the City of Allentown. Vicki noted that within Allentown, the needs within a community can even be tracked by neighborhood to neighborhood and block by block. One of the things that I think public health has been notorious for has been launching a public health message that is good for everyone and is needed by everyone. And yet when we really dig down in deep, we find that neighborhoods, sometimes blocks, perhaps have different needs. So one of the things the Allentown Health Bureau is doing right now is launching a community health needs assessment that is specific to each of the four different quadrants of the city. We're hoping to look at a granular approach to public health neighborhood by neighborhood by neighborhood. So when we take the pool data that they have about ER visits or about mental health or about suicide, any, any issue that uh, pool has gathered that information for, and we couple that with what our citizens have to say about 
where they are and about how they feel about where they are. We, we paint that story that Ed's referring to. And then we need to customize the response to that story. So what, you know, when one neighborhood might need a outpatient physical therapy spot. Another neighborhood might need a walking trail to combat the lack of physical activity. Another neighborhood might need a walk-up grocery store or someplace to get fruits and vegetables. So we're trying to customize our response and actually address neighborhood by neighborhood now the, um, the social determinants of health. But without that data that comes from our hospital networks and that comes from our employers and that comes from our physician offices, again, we go in blind. And many neighborhoods don't understand that the experience they're having, many of their neighbors are having. So if we find that we have three or four city blocks that asthma is really high, maybe those are where we carefully choose the street trees that we plant, or we don't plant trees that could trigger asthma. And we look at a different way of making the neighborhood green and attractive. But it's that overlapping data that will let us engage citizens in solutions that work for them right where they are. And I know the Poole Institute for Health has oftentimes had an opportunity to really narrow in on various communities, even blocks. Can you talk about what Vicki was talking about? Sure. I, Vicki has been a wonderful colleague for a very, very long time and is one of the most passionate public health leaders that I know in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So kudos to her for all the work she's done over the years. And now she's got a larger role thinking about community and economic development, which fits right in. Let's just take Vicki's role for a minute. She's responsible for community and economic development and public health for the entire city of Allentown. But she knows that in order to get things done, you have to, in her words, be granular in terms of thinking about understanding the community health needs in a neighborhood and how they might be different from neighborhood to neighborhood. One size doesn't necessarily fit all. And it's important to know that, just like we've been talking all along. No data without the story, no story without the data. I think the other thing implicit in what Vicki's talking about is that you just don't do a needs assessment and you're done. It's an ongoing, forever, always process because communities are living organisms. They change, they grow. You don't drive down a block for a month or six months or so and drive down and say, wait a minute, there's a new store there that I didn't know about. So you learn things all the time and it's important, it's important to do that. When she talks about customizing the data to get to know the community, that really is at that heart of the nexus of how do we look at the data, the hard data, and how do we look at the qualitative information we're getting from the community. So I think that it's, it's really important to look at that. The Pool Center for Health Analytics, I know, has been providing a lot of information to Vicki. The neighborhood by neighborhood, usually by census tract, which is valuable information and more granular than very often we can get, block by block, uh, perhaps, but block by block is hard. I, I think it's really hard. But block by block, you can get by talking to people in the neighborhood, uh, and then and then link that up with the census tract or zip code data that you do have. Implicit in that, I think, also is looking at data across sectors. So Vicky's not just looking at public health data, and nor there's the institute. We need to be looking at housing data, public safety data, uh, education attainment, and cross tabulate that and get a more clear picture. In a sense, you plant a seed and see where it's going to go when you go into these various blocks, don't you? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a tree. You don't know where it's going to grow, but there is growth. You, you, the, the work is we have data that folks in the community do not have. We have a gift to offer. We know some statistics about your neighborhood. 
We know that 25% of the adults in your neighborhood don't have a high school diploma, for example. We know that 70% of the folks in the neighborhood are renters, not owners, and that's not necessarily a good balance. We have the data that we can share with you. You, in turn, know your story, you know your history, you wake up in the neighborhood, you go to sleep in the neighborhood, you know what it's like at 2 o'clock in the morning. I do not. Yeah. And you can share that with me. And to together, we can think about what seed you would like to plant. This look back is fun, isn't it? And this look back is a lot of fun. <laughs> and and uh, it's sort of the health beat's greatest hits. It's kind of sort of an interesting to hear these community leaders express themselves so succinctly and so, so profoundly. And let's switch gears. Let's talk about education in Allentown School District. Dr. Carol Burks last fall was hired as an interim superintendent for the Allentown School District and has since earned the permanent job now with no interim tag in her title. Shortly after joining Allentown School District, Dr. Burks was one of nearly 100 participants in the LVHN Community Health Symposium. She reflected on attending the event in the midst of her very first weeks in Allentown. By attending LVHN's event, it really made me think through and reflect even about my own life and how my mother and father, they had very little, little public or formal education. And so, and some of the illnesses that they faced, given the, where they grew up and the exposure that they had to the factories and things that they worked in, is because they did not have, one of the reasons why, so they did not have a high quality education. And I've really taken my experiences being educated and fortunately from earlier on in my life through sitting here with someone who has very, a mother with very little formal education to sitting here with a master's and doctor degree from Columbia University shows the power of education as well as having the experience of understanding health and being more conscientious about the, the impact the health has on someone's long-term life's trajectory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also was really intrigued by the data system that was exposed to all the participants. And it made me think about my study at Columbia, in which we looked at uh, Jeffrey Canada's work and the Harlem Children's Zone, and how he really mobilized the community to look at health, uh, to look at every aspect of the community in service to schools, even starting as young as uh, mothers when they were pregnant with their children and the baby college that he established moving through ensuring that there was um, at the pre-K level as well on up through high school that students had access to health, you know, dental clinics and all those great things. And some of those uh, particular initiatives we have in our own district as the quality to dental clinic, um, social emotional supports and others. But it really made me think about just think how Allentown could really come together and we take that data system that they have at LVHN and use it to drill down that at this, this particular section of the community, someone who lives, that there are families who live in this particular area of the community and they have asthma or they, the mother has or parents or have not high quality educational experiences, how we can drill down and before their children even enter school, equip them with the resources and mobilize them health resources, social emotional supports, and others, access to workforce development in various aspects of this particular community so that we can change the trajectory of the community. So I walked away really empowered, feeling like, wow, if we could just galvanize everyone, organize ourselves, really unpack those data sets to be very intentional 
about the work of what we call in education, protecting the instructional core. And that's a lot. Wow. <laughs> a lot there to unpack your thoughts. Well, as we, we've said a couple of times here during the show, these are all thoughtful leaders who are thinking about what's immediately in front of them with an eye on the prize on the big picture. And it's a lot to unpack because there is a lot to unpack. There's an awful lot that needs to be done within the Allentown School District, and there's an awful lot that needs to be done for education as for its own sake, but also as a determinant of health. A tremendous amount of credit to Dr. Burks. She was barely in town on short notice. She heard about the symposium and she attended, and I really appreciate that she did. I'm also, in retrospect, realizing the potency of having a symposium. You know, Dr. Nestor talks about it. Dr. Burks talks about it. We hit a chord there that I think talks about let's work together, let's share data, let's, you know, let's be focused on the big picture and how we work together. So I'm struck with Dr. Burke's reflection on her own life and the power of education in her life. I get that because, for me, education was the ticket out of the neighborhood. I think that education is one of the more important determinants of health. I also think that health is one of the more important determinants of education, uh, and they go hand in hand, and that's extremely important to think about those mutually supporting things that a child needs and that a family needs. We can't really think about a, a healthy and thriving community without asking, how are we doing with the next generation? Are we being, as a friend of mine says, will we be good ancestors? Um, are we yeah. going to be in a place where we can say we're proud of what we did to make sure that there's education systems for our children that will enable them to become productive members of the community? Super important. I'm struck with Dr. Burke's comment about Jeffrey Canada and Harlem Children's Zone. That's sort of the nascent work of thinking, let's go block by block. And frankly, the work that we're doing with uh, Build Health, for example, that we've talked about with uh, Deidre Vashir from Community Services for Children, Cradle to College or Career, really is conceptually the next gen of Harlem Children's Zone work. How do we really think about healthy mama, healthy baby, a uh, baby that is doing well, able to enter early quality, early childhood education, moving straight on to succeeding in elementary schools on grade level for reading in fourth grade, passing ninth grade algebra, that hurdle, and really thinking about up and forward to college or successful career. So super important stuff. Dr. Burks wraps with, uh, again, Allentown needs to come together. We need to drill down. We need to use the data. Uh, the pool data, I, I shouldn't even call it the pool data, the data that pool is mm -hmm. fortunate enough to be able to have the, the ability and the capacity to analyze, to share with folks like Dr. Burks is super important. But again, it's how do we galvanize the effort? How do we organize? How do we use the data intelligently? How do we come together? How do we drill, drill down? She said that several times. Dr. Nestor, Dr. Burks, have at it. Let's go. There's a common theme here, isn't there? Yes, sir. <laughs> In addition to local partners, Ed, the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health is also active working with national partners. This includes Rethink Health at the Ripple Foundation. Back on April 20th, Dr. Bobby Milstein from Ripple Foundation kicked off the first edition of the Pool Speaker Series. You know, most of us are trained to lead on behalf of a particular issue or organization. And in a world that's got so many opportunities and challenges in front of us, um, when we organize around those particular kinds of defined programmatic areas of leadership, it can cause a lot of you know decisive action, but it can also fragment our resources and the organizational landscape as each of us are leading in various complicated and overlapping ways. And so stewardship is really nothing more than the idea that we can have purposes that are larger than ourselves or our own organizations. And most of us yearn 
for purposes that are bigger. We want our, our work to have great meaning and add up to a, a, a kind of story that we can all feel connected in and, and proud to contribute to. So purposes can be larger than ourselves. We can build power with each other to be able to do things that we can't do alone. We can also invest resources in ways that, that generate long-term value and don't just sort of gather assets for our own you know, personal or organizational agenda. Um, these are hallmarks of a practice of shared stewardship, right? So we can be leading and we can also be thinking of ourselves as shared stewards of the things that we are entrusted with and the things that we most value. We define stewardship very, very simply. It's any person or organization who's just willing to take responsibility for working with others to create the conditions that everyone needs to thrive, beginning with those who are struggling and suffering, because nobody knows better about how systems are designed and where the opportunities are than people who feel like they're encountering adversity every day, that the world was never really built for them to thrive. They have a very keen understanding of how we can expand systems to make sure that they feel they belong and that they have things to bring. The more people who are participating as stewards, the, the easier this work becomes, right? We expand the range of assets. Many hands make make light work in, in some ways, and we can build that civic muscle to be able to do things we can't do alone. First, Ed, could you talk a bit about the new pool speaker series? Something we learned from the symposium. As I said, we weren't holding a symposium to talk at people. We were holding a symposium to have conversation. One of the lessons learned was that the attendees said, symposium is great, and if you have another one next year, we'll come. But the fact of the matter is we need more frequent contact, more frequent communication. We'd like to meet more often. We'd like to manipulate and play with the data and analyze the data more frequently than once a year. We'd like more opportunities to, to convene around how can we think about certain aspects of the work. And so we learned from the symposium that people wanted to do more. We also learned from the attendees that they'd like to hear about ideas from outside the Lehigh Valley. Who's good at this? Who do we know who are exemplars that we can, could maybe learn from? Which is a classic Leonard Poole approach, which was wonderful. And so it made perfect sense for us to think about, how, let's, have, let's have a speaker series. Let's really think about honoring the requests that folks had. And so the first one we did was with Dr. Bobby Milstein, who's a nationally recognized leader on not just social determinants of health, but the broader idea of thriving communities. What are the conditions that enable thriving? So real happy about Bobby's uh, participation, and I hope that the folks who were requesting speaker series uh, enjoyed that one. There'll be more to come. Hopefully we'll do four or so a year. Ed, what are you most proud of over the past year? Uh, I'm I'm extremely proud of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health staff. I'm really proud of the board of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. I'm really proud of leadership from folks like Dr. Nestor to say, you know, this is important. This isn't just nice anymore. This is the future of health. We know that health care is extremely important, and that represents about 20% of what keeps a community healthy. The other 80% needs tending to. And the fact that that is becoming a more recognized, not just nice idea, 
but more recognized as a genuine thing that we need to start to work on is important. I'm delighted with the leadership of when well, we had the Mayor Turk on the show, just his leadership, Vicki Kistler, uh, just so many folks who are saying, yeah, this makes sense to me. We're not going to be able to improve education without addressing health. We're not going to be able to address health without addressing housing. We're not going to be able to address housing without addressing food and nutrition and income. So it's connecting very, very well. It's been a great year. In doing this program, I've become in touch with the idea that your community is only as healthy as its least healthy person, right? Well, and that is actually, Dr. Nestor said it, I wrote it down and said, absolutely, that nails it. We are, we are paying a price for segments of the community, segments of our region that are not healthy. We do it all the time. We don't even realize it. So what's the Parker Pool Institute for Health going to work on here in the next year? Well, give us a little preview if you can. Well, we have a wonderful opportunity to work with uh, on an early childhood project with Build Health. We're one of 13 in the country that's working on that, which will be focused on about 400 children in the Head Start program. That's really exciting. More work in Franklin Park on safe and healthy housing. Uh, and we're working with Enterprise Community Partners, another national partner that's helping us think about how we go about that. Also in Franklin Park, we'll be thinking a little bit more about some of the chronic conditions in the neighborhood. Uh, and let's see if we can work with Valley Health Partners and LVHN, particularly the primary care service uh, delivery folks. We had Dr. Kareva on at one point this year to talk about diabetes. I think it's an interesting subject to focus on. More speaker series, another symposium, more education, more enlightenment, more advocacy, more convening, more facilitating. So, Ed, we've got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, you and I have some gray here on us, a um, <laughs> few years behind us. Give me an idea of a positive uh, thing that has surprised you about this community. Resilience. This is a very resilient community. The Lehigh Valley is a very resilient place. The Lehigh Valley is a very strong place. Um, it's proud of much of its history, and it's rewriting history as we speak right now, which is very, very encouraging. And we can become a healthier community, can't we? Absolutely. Think about, think about Vicki Kessler's comments about, so if the trees are causing asthma, we'll put up different trees. Uh, we're having conversations with Blue Zones. Thinking about the built environment is really an interesting sort of concept. It's not your classic public health approach. But we're growing, we're evolving, we're changing, and we're ready for the next uh, next iteration. And the opportunity for people even to get from point A to point B, we oftentimes talk about how important mobility is on our Plan Lehigh Valley show, how you can be healthier if you can just get somewhere to work and to uh, help your family be more mobile. And I know that the community is working on that. Yeah, I think... Transportation is an issue. Mobility, I think, is an issue that we, if you're going to do social determinants of health, you could, could have picked transportation as one of the subject areas. We didn't. We went with housing and, and food and well-being, you know, and education. But I'll pick a subject that needs improvement and you will touch on a social determinant of health. Yeah. You can't help it. Well, this has been a fun opportunity to look back. I also want to thank uh, Matt Trust, who has helped produce this program along with Sarit Lashinsky who's uh, always monitoring what we do and cleaning up what we do. <laughs> and Ed, of course, thank you very much uh, to you and the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health for helping us provide this terrific show called HealthBeat. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. WDIY is a, is a tremendous asset to the community. You are listening to HealthBeat. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, on WDIY 88.1 FM. Have a great evening. Thank you.
If you enjoyed this program, please go to the WDIY website or app to share or become a WDIY member.